0: Oh, we're
1: waiting. How long do we go?
2: Uh we'll be finished
0: just by five ten. Your yours will be
2: Hello, 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 and welcome to the the Artist Exchange Radio Show here live only on BeExposedRadio.com. I'm Nate, your host, and we're live as we are every Friday at 5. I am, uh, I'm having a really interesting day. The wind kind of threw me through a storm. Everything has been disconnecting and reconnecting and uh, pausing and processing, Uh, but I'm here. Uh, We're ready. I have a very interesting guest, Ms. Jamie McDonald. Uh, that we'll be having an interesting conversation. We'll learn a lot about just going off of that strength that you have within yourself uh, and building off of that strength that you have. Um, Often we're trying to connect the dots and figure out what our strategy is. And we look everywhere but within ourselves. And and we had an interesting workshop that she uh, leads with her company, uh, organization. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, what she does and, and how you can be better at what you do and finding that, that thing for yourself. Um, so we're not going to pause it anymore without further ado. I want to welcome Miss Jamie McDonald uh, to the Artist Exchange Radio Show. You got to unmute yourself. Thanks, Nate. It's great to be here. I hope everything's been going well for you during this pandemic. How has it, it been doing every, cause you're used to small groups or big groups and having meetings. Yeah. How has this quarantine been for you?
1: You know, I think that, look, I'm, first of all, I'm fortunate. I've had a comfortable place to be the whole time. Mm-hmm. I have good broadband. I've been able to continue <laughs> on with my work and my, and my life. And, um, you know, my family's all safe and healthy. So in the scheme of Mm -hmm. everything, you know, I think, I think we've fared as well as one could fare in this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I think though, that, that this last 12 months for me, and for so many people I interact with um, whatever their, their life circumstances are, I think that it has been a time when people have looked Mm -hmm. at what they're doing and, and, just you know with all the uncertainty in the world kind of thinking about like if if we're going to continue to live in this crazy world that we've been going through for the last year but really even for the couple years before that politically you know where do we want our energy to be how do we want to be focused and so that's been a lot of what I've spent the last year doing is really thinking about you know how I was showing up in the world and where I was making my mark and who I was impacting and supporting and helping and and I've gotten a lot of clarity around that this last year.
2: And I think this pandemic has definitely given us a, a moment to pause. But at the same time, I felt like it everything that I needed to get done found a way to get done. And I had the time. I was rested. You know, um, I didn't have to worry about getting dressed and and going to meetings across town and downtown. And uh, But everything felt like. It was lining up, and I think we all needed this break in uh, this moment in time to kind of reimagine and reorganize the things in life that we say we want, we already are doing, or things that we hadn't even thought about doing. That we had to find ways to be creative in our communication and our effectiveness and our professionalism, because you know <laughs> with internet going in now, it's not very professional. But we had to work figure okay. out how to make all this. Computer technology work for us um,
1: but I, I would say like I think in some ways, I think one of the good things that has come from the fact that we have been living this virtual life
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, is that I think in some ways we see one another as fuller human beings, yes, because we mm-hmm. see into somebody's home, we see mm-hmm. their dogs go by. You'll certainly see mine at some point while we're talking, you know, you see your dogs go by or you see people's kids or you see that they live in a beautiful place with a, you know, brick wall behind them. And you get, I don't know, you get a different sense for people that Mm -hmm. they're not just what they do, but they're also who they are. Mm -hmm. And that I think has been, there've been a lot of things that have been hard about this last year, but, and I think sitting on Zooms is an exhausting thing. I think for a lot of people and particularly for a lot of, Young people and kids, like I can't imagine what it's like to try to be on Zooms all the time. But I do think that that sense that we give each other a little more grace about the craziness of our personal lives and that we know that I've got dogs and kids. And I don't know, (laughs) I I think that that part of things has been good.
2: Right. It it definitely, I think it humanizes, as you said, Mm -hmm. and it gave a lot of uh, uh, grace, as you said, because often we don't think about people being parents or or having a home life. Normally when you're we're working, we're trying to get done what we need to get done. And I've <laughs> working with children uh, virtually for a year since last March has really humbled me in terms of my patience,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, me being better at communicating, me being more creative and not just teaching from experience or from a book. I've, I had to learn how to, all literally all that was to the side and I had to get on their level for once yeah. Yeah. Uh, and not just teaching and not just being an artist, but really connecting with people because this this is a barrier. But we've been able to see so much more. As you said, we got to see the humanity in people. Um, I first met you at a workshop at Impact Hub. You have an organization. Can you tell us a little bit about your overall organization? And then we'll get into the, the sure. individual parts of it.
1: Yeah. So, um, so I'm actually doing something that's slightly different right now, but, Mm -hmm. but for, for the last seven years, I've been, um, working with entrepreneurs and, um, change makers and creative people, um, Mm -hmm. to under, under the umbrella of an, of an organization called the courageous. Mm -hmm. And, and my, my goal was to, um, both share a set of experiences that I've had in in my own life and that I've learned from working alongside other movement builders. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that really the, the thing I always found the most compelling about the work I did in, in the workshops, like the one that you attended is, um, you know, I, I found just the thing that you were saying at the very beginning that, um, that often I was able to help people unlock that thing in themselves Mm
0: -hmm. that they
1: didn't even realize was their superpower. Right. Right. And, um, and so I could teach them technical things, right? Like I could teach you how to present more effectively, or I could teach you how to do, you know, build your personal, you know, or company brand or your, your organization brand. But the reality is I think what most you know was most helpful for for people who came through that workshop was um if i have a, a superpower like we all have our own thing i, I can mm-hmm. i i just tend to see people's like that thing about them that is uniquely amazing and can mm-hmm. like help them see it for themselves. Like I can kind of hold up a mirror to them and say, like, don't you see this amazing thing that you have? I know mm-hmm. you're, I know you're like trying to do this this work thing or you're trying to do this creative thing, but your genius and your beauty is in this thing that's inside you. And it's just you're just pushing it out this way, but there are a whole lot of ways that you can do that. And
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that I think has been I think that's been one of the bits of magic in those workshops. I think that the other part is that. I've always been focused on the curation of the people who were there side by side. And so the relationships that often develop across people in those small workshops and the fact that so many of them, as you've described to me, like those relationships carry forward. So now, they're not just learning from whatever they learn in the week that they spend in the workshop, but they're also got a, you know, a group of people that they can continue to grow with and lean on and have fun with and be friends with. And I think the power of that, that sort of the, the the personal learning combined with the group learning and the group, like, you know, that, that sense of energy that comes when a group is really vibing that, Mm -hmm. that is what I've really valued in being part of those workshops.
2: But it, and and to take that a step further, what I think it did for me was many of us here in Baltimore being such a small place uh, for entrepreneurs and artists and uh, activists and community leaders alike. uh, We, when we see each other now, even the ones that I haven't kept in contact, I know you. And and we're able to, you know, ask each other what's going on, what's new, and find ways to kind of bring ourselves into it or, or support that person, and now when I see certain events happening, I know that person, so I feel more of an obligation to support it, or go out to it, or Zoom in it, link into it, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it really, it created a sense of community amongst people who knew each other, but didn't really know each other, or didn't know each other at all, you know, And You,
1: you, might, re- you might remember, because, you know, it's it's been a couple years since we did that workshop together, mm-hmm. but um, you know, the very first thing that we ask everyone to do is to tell their personal story in 10 minutes. Yeah, And, and I have, I think that that is such an underestimated, powerful thing, mm-hmm. you know, that, that when people tell their personal stories, and you, and you start off seeing them as, you know, as a human being with, you know, things that you, you know, because I think we all see each other. And, because of how we look, or because of whatever the yeah. setting is where we meet each other, we cu- we we form a little story in our own mind of the person we're seeing. Mm. And so often, if we actually learn that person's story, they're like we are usually so far off, right? Like you mm. just don't really know. You certainly don't know anything beyond the surface, right? right and so right. I think when you start off telling your personal stories it makes the whole rest of the workshop or whatever that experience is that you go through together like you you have those points of connection that mm-hmm. that just start the the collaboration and the sharing and the openness going that makes the whole experience richer and i just i don't know i i i'm always surprised that we You know, often I'm in things, I'm sure you are too, where people Mm -hmm. say, okay, we want you to do a a one minute intro, your name, your company, your this or that, right? Mm -hmm. And the truth is, that's almost like the worst thing to ask about somebody, right? Is like, just like where they work or, Mm -hmm. right? What I think if you're going to do a short intro, you should do something like, you know, your name and the hardest moment of your life or the something yeah. that like bra- draws people in and can help you them see you in more three dimensions
2: and forces you to open up because often right. you know and it was people that even at that workshop that I have known for years but to hear their personal stories I'm, I'm trying to remember the gentleman who owns the barbershop I yeah, I had Troy. gone to that barbershop Troy, before yeah. right I've missed Troy I had gone to that barbershop before I had you know, going to events there, but I never took the time to kind of personally know him or introduce myself and listening to his story and other people's story that I know. I mean, me and Love went to college together. I, I, I knew her as Love the Poet, the big host of Baltimore poetry scene, <laughs> didn't know personal stories about her. And it really allowed me to kind of get into people. And ultimately, it forced me to, to open up because I'm the person that I spectate and I listen. I'm a good shoulder, but it forced me to open up and be able to make myself human in front of people. Because I think as when we all go through this entrepreneurship thing, we try to be stronger than what we actually are because it's tough. And you don't want people to look at you and create a bias about you because you need their support. You need their help. Uh, and we, we've been shown that weaknesses aren't good. But actually, if you show that vulnerability, it actually makes people want to talk to you more, you know, and people who wouldn't normally have conversation for you will open up and have a conversation with you because they see something, one, that's in common. They you see commonalities in people who we didn't think, you know, we had similarities with. So that's so true. I kept that that workshop with me for a minute because it's really and I I take I took a lot of notes that week. And even after the fact, uh, uh, once we had a reunion, you welcomed us to your home. And I took a lot of notes based off of what people were saying from the previous groups that you had did, the cohorts mm-hmm. that you had before. Uh, and I, I it was just interesting to hear people's reaction from being a, in the midst of that group to moving forward and how life kind of changed a little bit once they learn how to be real and be yeah. honest and just be open. Because it's it's hard enough trying to be an artist and an entrepreneur and topple that with, you know, being a closed off person. How are you building relationships? That's kind of the reason for the artist exchanges to work on engagement. And I'm horrible at it. But on a one-on-one basis, I, I can talk to people.
0: It I think feels I think you're being
1: way. hard on yourself. You know, <laughs> I think one of the gifts that you underestimate in yourself, um, mm-hmm. and people that are like you, is like the power of what, of what it means to be a good listener.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Mm-hmm. There is a there is a real power in listening because if you think about really who's in control in a conversation, mm-hmm. right the The person who asks the good questions and then sits and listens, they're right. actually the ones in control in the conversation, right? So mm-hmm. so it's a and I think that people on the other end um the ones who are being engaged and being asked to talk, particularly if you're helping them you're helping them talk about not just what they do or whatever but who they are and and what they're passionate about, like I think that that's. That is a gift not to be underestimated. You should give yourself more credit for, Mm. you know, for the power that sits in you to draw that out of people and to use the power of listening to really shape the way you, you know, you can make an impact in the world the way you show up. You know, I think Mm. that that's I think that it's it's a gift I would not sell short.
2: And it's something that, you know, for me, I'm learning how to be more aware of. It's, it's just, and that today's topic is, you know, building on that strength. Mm-hmm. And and I've, I've kind of been looking at, and, and one of the reasons I reached out to you is because I started looking back over my journal and I went, got to a point where we were at that week of the meeting and I, I had a lot of hesitation because <laughs> I was thrust into this opportunity with Impact Hub to be around all of these go-getters. And I'm trying to figure out, well, where, you know, I know what my thing is, but I I can't put a play on in the middle of this room right now. I can't, you know, teach a class of students right now. What am I left with? Like, what am I, you know, what are the things that I can do to be a part of this conversation? And I, you know, I started looking over my journal and I, you know, realized how far I had come once. So being aware of that strength. But uh, what else I wanted to do? How far else? How far out I wanted to push it, and uh, creating that that plan, platform for myself. Um, mm-hmm. Where are you now with Courage? I know you're in a different part of your business right now. So where are you with Courageous, and what are you currently working on?
1: So, um, so look, the community that I built through the Courageous and doing those workshops. Eventually, I you know after. You know, after the workshop that I did with you, I really started those in Baltimore Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: I ended up doing that work um, around the country and then ultimately around the world. And in 2019, I was like all over the place doing, um, you know, doing workshops with with people um, who were very much like the, you know, the group that you were with in Mm -hmm. Baltimore, change makers and artists and entrepreneurs and and big thinkers. I call, I call it like edge thinkers, (laughs) the people that kind of are out there on the edge. Um, But I realized that, you know, as I was thinking about, particularly when COVID hit, um, you know, really thinking. I'm in my mid fifties. And so, you know, I, I look forward and I mean, it's hard for me to imagine ever not working, but I've been Mm. married a long time and my (laughs) husband wants a traditional retirement. Like who knows, you know, what, what lies ahead of me, but I kind of figured if I had a last big sprint towards something that I wanted to think about what that really would be. And, you know, for me, that is all about Baltimore. And so, you know, after traveling for really a couple of years, I wanted to recenter my energy in Baltimore and, um, you know, and the thing that I've come to realize is, um, you know, there's a lot of there's so many things that that are beautiful and strong and vibrant and healthy in Baltimore um, mm-hmm. and that the world doesn't know, incidentally, <laughs> which, you know, you go everywhere mm-hmm. else. And you have to, like, justify, you know, your love of Baltimore. Um,
2: <laughs> I've found a couple ways to do it in my elevator pitch.
1: <laughs> I mean, look, I I always just say, like, if you come, you'll know. Mm-hmm. Right. Like because you can't really convince people if all they do is listen to what's in the media. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, so I realized that what I feel like I can contribute, there are a lot of different places. We, there's so many needs and opportunities, but what I got the chance to do was to work, you know, over these, I was an entrepreneur and, and, you know, now I've worked with so many entrepreneurs across the country Mm -hmm was that we have too many Baltimoreans who don't feel like they're, you know, part of the knowledge economy, the 21st century economy, right? That they, um, you know, that we've got, we've got a city where, you know, we we still have largely a pre-digital economy cities. And what I mean by that mm-hmm. is we're a city that's anchored in small businesses, like neighborhood and main street businesses, and then right. big companies. And any any great city needs those to be strong. You need thriving, dynamic small businesses because they're neighborhood anchors. Their owners are usually leaders in neighborhoods, mm-hmm. um, right. and as I said, there she goes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know and so so you need those and there's a lot of good focus in the city on how we support small businesses we have big businesses in the city that get a lot of attention from the GBC and the city government mm-hmm. and all you know all kinds of people what we've been missing in baltimore is that like 21st century economy right it's the it's the tech enabled startups it's the innovators who are really using technology to change the world mm-hmm. so not not Social impact kind of change makers in the nonprofit sense, right. but the the kinds of innovators who are using like twenty first century technologies to think about how we build a different world. and so i've I've become CEO of an entity called upsurge Baltimore. and mm-hmm. um, and Upsurge is really. You know, we've got a really giant goal, Nate. This won't surprise you if you remember my 10x thinking, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. 10x, not 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we have a goal to be the country's first equitech city. So to build Ooh. the first inclusive innovation economy in the country. And um, and what that means is that we, we really want to support, celebrate, and attract companies that are, um, grounded in the advantages of diversity that are, um, led by underestimated founders. And when I say underestimated, that's a kind of a bigger term because one, they are underestimated amazing founders who people don't give enough credit for what they could accomplish, but they often come from, um, you know, BIPOC communities, Black, Indigenous, people of color, women,
0: mm-hmm.
1: LGBT, differently abled people. So that whole thing is sort of what I think of as underestimated founders.
0: Right, right.
1: If you think about the tech world, um, I and mean, you just use capital investment as a proxy mm-hmm. for, like, who's valued as a founder. Those kind of underestimated founders get this tiny sliver of the investment dollars that go into tech, right? the right. vast majority of tech still goes to you know people from pretty traditional you know pedigreed backgrounds generally white men like mm-hmm. and like there's there's plenty of good white men out there so i'm not saying this as like a like <laughs> but it's not
2: equally distributed but it is
1: not equal and we mm-hmm. and and i think that it's um fortunately the world is waking up to this because there are so many exciting companies that um, you know, that are increasingly led by people from diverse backgrounds or that are engaging, Mm -hmm. you know, teams and boards and leadership from diverse backgrounds. But it's also increasingly um, a quantitative, measurable, you know, thing that you can look at. So, you know, it has now been shown in study after study after study that this is not an obligation. This is an opportunity that companies Mm. have diverse teams, leadership and perspectives perform better than companies that don't on the numbers. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this is not charity. This is like investment. And so so what, you know, what I'm trying to do is, you know, there there was a group of people that approached me and they said, look, we want to be like the next Austin or the next Boston or the next LA or New York.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I was just like, look, that I get that. Like those cities, there's, there's a lot going on there. They're fun to visit, you know, I understand that, but I just said, if that's really the goal, I don't think I'm the person for that job. For me, I don't want to be the the head of the next anything. I want to be the head of the first something. Right. And so, you know, I think we have a chance in Baltimore, you know, we are an intensely brilliant and diverse city. Um, We are a place where, you know, we have such strengths, right. From, you know our 13 universities, two historically black colleges, plus UMBC right around the corner, plus mm-hmm. University of Maryland Baltimore, plus amazing you know science and research and art and like there's so much here that yeah. um, that we have to build on. That I just I think we are so well positioned to be the country's first Equitex City, and as I've been. Talking with people both in Baltimore and around the country about this vision, people just get it. You know, mm-hmm. they get it, and so so that's what I'm working on now. And it's um, it's a 10 year vision. It will not happen overnight. You know, we will not be able to show in a year that we are the hub of Equitech in the world. It's going to take some time. But we're you know we're doing the the big work and the big visioning and intense engagement across the city and across the country to get support for this idea. And um, that's so what I'm
2: up to How does the small mom and pop, as you spoke of, uh, independent artists, you know, uh, educational spaces, how do they benefit from this? Or how, you know, that learning curve of getting those businesses up to a statue where they can be, you know, looked at, but how did, how does all these businesses uh, or artists no, fit into
0: that? <laughs>
1: it's It's a great question, and I think the way we've got to think about it is sort of with an ecosystem lens.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So no one entity can be everything to everybody, right? Okay. And if you try to be everything, you, you might remember we talked about this in the workshop. Mm-hmm. like if you try to be everything to any everybody, you're essentially nothing to everybody, right? Yep. because
0: including you yourself.
1: Just, right? You can't you've I, I actually think about things the other way. So, I tend to think that you want to be intensely important to a small group of people. Okay. So when I look at Baltimore right now, there are a lot of incredible organizations that are working to support the small mom and pop business, the artists, the sort of, the and the big companies on both sides, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if you think about, you know, impact hub and innovation works and all the accelerators and incubators across the city, um, you know, there there are a lot of amazing groups that are working with, with main, what I think of as main street entrepreneurs or neighborhood entrepreneurs
0: mm-hmm.
1: and artists. That's not my world right now, but what we can do is um, there's like, there is that there's that moment when certain entrepreneurs decide that their, their vision for themselves and their business is something that's more than just the neighborhood or Baltimore, that they want to be national or they want to be global.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And so that's when they cross from being impact hub and innovation works to being upsurge. Right. Okay. So when they, because again, like we're not trying to step on anyone's toes, those organizations do an amazing job. Mm
0: -hmm. They are
1: filling an important, you know, need in Baltimore for those kinds of companies. And there's a bunch of others that also do that work. I'm just, those two I'm particularly passionate about. Um, I agree. I agree. um, And so but we're trying to fill this gap with something where there wasn't that same level of intensity and focus Mm -hmm. to really support those entrepreneurs as they make the leap from being potentially a main street entrepreneur into wanting to be national or wanting to be global, um, to -hmm. wanting to do something that scales. That's, that's the expertise that our group will bring. And, and the reason that that's important, Nate, is because, um, we, we on, on top of all the other things that you know baltimore has an opportunity to build we need more 21st century jobs and in mm-hmm. so many of you know our main street businesses if they're really small there's they, they can only pay a certain amount right so they right. you know you pay maybe at the top end for a typical worker they're paying 15 or maybe 20 dollars an hour right if you're, if that's what you're making, that, that can help you sustain yourself, but you're probably not building wealth. You're probably not like moving up in your Mm -hmm. life in this, like if you have a family, you know, and you have a new baby and you're still, you know, you're making $20 an hour and you add another child to the mix, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's, it's challenging and those companies are small. So there's only so far that somebody can move up unless you're the owner. Um, and you know this cuz you've owned a business sometimes the owners are the last ones to get paid not the first ones right <laughs> if if
0: at all <laughs> that's at right times. if
1: at all we've both <laughs> been there right mm-hmm. so you know so so that so they're really critical businesses to thriving neighborhoods and and local economies right. but they do ha- but they have limitations just like every kind of business has its own set of limitations what what the kind of companies scale companies have, which is really what I'm trying to plug into, is it's it's a job um, you know profile that tends to start higher. People make more right from the outset. Often they come from main street businesses, so you cut your teeth working for a company where you're a salesperson, or you're a clerk, or you're an accountant, or a, you know, or you're a designer. And if you can move from a main street type company into a scale company, now you typically you make a little more, and you often have more opportunities to move up because those companies they're growing fast. They tend to get a little bit bigger, right? So, so it's a different. It's a it's one more piece of the jobs puzzle in Baltimore, and um, you know, but there are a lot of Baltimoreans um, who. Have not felt like they've been welcomed into the knowledge economy. Right. Yeah. That that in some ways, I sometimes the way that I talk about it is like it's sort of like there are two countries, right? And there's a country that speaks French and a country that speaks Spanish. Mm. And the people in the knowledge economy have a culture and a language that not everyone feels they can approach, right? And so it's yeah. just like if you go to another country you know, you can, you know, you're brilliant, you know, you're smart. And like, you're, you know, like you, you're <laughs> dynamic, people should want, want to be around you, but you go to a place where you don't speak the language or know the culture, and you feel uncomfortable.
2: Yeah,
1: right. And I think that that's true in this world, too, that, you know, people think about tech, Um, And if you're from an underestimated community, all those communities we talked about, if you're a woman, if you're LGBT, if you're black, if you're like, if you've never felt like you've been welcomed into the knowledge economy and you don't know the culture and the language, you have that same sense that people feel when they go to a foreign country and they don't know if they fit in.
0: Mm. right?
1: And so in some people, some people are brave, right? And they plow ahead and they're like, the heck with you, I'm going to show you I belong here, right? but it shouldn't have to be that way. It should be that we build an innovation economy where all people know that they belong, right? They don't have to choose that as their path any more than a privileged white kid always chooses that the knowledge economy is their path. Plenty of them become chefs and artists and other things that are different, right? Right. But they know that it's a choice. And for a lot of our neighbors, they don't even know that it's a choice And so we want to sort of open that door and say, look, if you choose, there is a, there's a place for you in the knowledge economy, right? You belong in tech and there are opportunities here that can help you, you know, build on what you learn working in, you know, a main street or a Baltimore focused business. And work in a scale company where you can take that a step further. And you can probably work in a in a job where you get paid a little more, there's more upward mobility, and you probably have benefits, right? So they're different, it's a different job profile that just kind of can move people along the curve. And our our challenge, Nate, and I'm really clear about this. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Our challenge is that in a lot of cities, when knowledge economies have grown, they have grown to the exclusion of the people who live in those cities
2: and, and it always it's always connected to something on the other side of the world or another space
0: yeah
1: sometimes mm-hmm. it's that but sometimes it's just that these companies are so successful that a lot of people make a lot of money and they basically like they either price out or they don't welcome they don't like they don't make a point of saying wait are we're building something where more people in our city should share in this you know, this, this possibility that we're building together. Right. Right. And so, so we've got to be really intentional in this work to think about all the things that come along with this. Right. So how do we make sure that, you know, we're thinking about the implications for education, for transportation, for real estate, we can't mm-hmm. do all like that's, we can't do all those things. Then we'd be the government. We're not the government. Right. <laughs> But what we can do is we can be a voice in those conversations saying, look, if we want more people to participate in the 21st century economy, then we need 21st century education. We need 21st century transportation. We need new real estate practices that let people build wealth in place. Right.
2: To keep them here.
1: To keep them here. Mm So that so that so that our Baltimore residents as they build their wealth and their stability, no matter what zip code or neighborhood they're from, they can choose to stay in their neighborhood, to buy a house in their neighborhood, to you know, they or if they want to. Again, like none of this is this is all a matter of just like the currency of possibility, the fact that we should all feel that we have the same possibilities. and, and that's
2: that's very important, uh, especially that at home feel. Because even as an artist, I've I've, I'm looking at where I would land, you know, Atlanta or New York for theater, for art and culture. And they are both on the extremes of wealth and affordability. But at the same time, you know, I've I've had that whole like, do I leave Baltimore? Because if I leave Baltimore, I'm taking me away from Baltimore as well, not just going to something that is beneficial to me. I'm leaving a a part of me you know is going with me that should be still here well so how do i keep that grounded feeling here and still get all that i need out of the city without having to travel out and you know a la carte everything where where's that hub here so that that sounds like where you're after with the tech side of things uh how ready currently is the city in terms of what industries are here? Maybe not specifically, but Yeah, are there enough to really take us there here? Or are you trying to build that here at the same time?
1: You know, I think in everything in life, I always think in like loops, right? Mm-hmm. So if you, if you think, you know, if you think about how, so many things in life work, like they, they kind of go like this, they loop. And even if, even if they're going higher there, it's never like a straight line. Life mm-hmm. isn't that way. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so we have a lot to build on here, okay. but the reality is that if you think about that looping concept of like how things tend to go, mm-hmm. you know, you have to, you've got to get started and try things. you got to look at what industries are here and then you figure out almost always You'll identify that they're missing pieces, right? So we know that one thing that's an issue right now is, you know, the education system in Baltimore is such that we have a lot of, you know, too many of our young people who don't finish school, right? They don't finish high school. And, you know, everybody doesn't need to go to college. But if you don't finish high school, it's really hard to get a job that can pay a family sustaining wage. So the talent pool gets compressed because we have a lot of people in Baltimore who don't get to that base stage of finishing high school. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, then if you, so, so if you think about this looping thing, right. So there are a lot of industries, like there are jobs that go wanting in Baltimore. They can't, they want to hire here and they can't find people. And so part of what we have to do is you've got to, it's a chicken and egg thing, right? Like You've got to get people starting to be skilled up. Then the jobs have to be there, right? Mm. But often the jobs are like, look, I've got to look elsewhere because right now the jobs aren't here. So that's why I'm saying it's this looping thing, yeah.
0: Yeah. right?
1: They've got, to, they, they've got to, it's got to start. And then the other thing has to catch up to it. And that's when the loop kind of finishes that first revolution, right? Mm. Then, then you go into the second revolution. And now it's like, okay, we've got more people that are ready for this kind of job. Now we need like what are the next set of skills that we need so people can move to the next level of job, right? Or the next industry. Mm -hmm. So so it's that's why I take this long view of it. It's a 10-year, I look at this as a 10-year project. And you know, it's because we've got a lot of good things to build on, but we've got a lot of places where the need and the the supply, you know, the supply and the demand are out of balance. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. we'll we'll fix one loop. Of supply and demand, and then we'll go to the next one. And I, I think and, we and I to know
2: you way. may not be, you know, in the world of necessarily education, but we have a lot of programs that are starting off students. But my question would be, how do they maintain that interest? Because I, as a teacher, I see a lot of initiatives happening for this group of students at this grade level, and then I see it way up here on this great level but the connecting uh train or the read the journey is it, dropped off so you say a lot of people not finishing school it's well the, it's not they're not maintaining the interest of the students
1: yeah it's such a good point point. and i had i don't know if you've ever met a local black entrepreneur named Phil Krosky have you ever mm-hmm. crossed paths with him mhm so Phil, you know, he's the CEO of a company called Maryland Energy Advisors. He started off, you know, small and he's got, I don't know, 50 people around the country now and growing really fast. And,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and the the thing that he talked about is, you know, he said we need um, we need things like the entrepreneurship clubs and the robotics clubs and the computer clubs to be as popular as AAU basketball. And then to have that kind of structure, because if you think about like sports. They start with a league for kids when they're seven years old, no, and then they're able to hold the bat. <laughs> well, exactly, and then AAU basketball—they're teaching those kids the fundamentals of whatever that you know basketball mm-hmm. is, starting at seven years old. And then they, there's AAU basketball through college, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So think about if we had that kind of like starting at a really young age that you were building a pipeline of people who were, who wanted to live in this world. You know, Jason Bass is another one I talked to Jason's on my team now with Mm UpSearch. I've talked with Jason a lot because Jason was always a brilliant, creative, you know, not sport oriented guy. right? Right,
0: Right. But
1: he felt very pushed, you know, like he said where he grew up to be a guy who wanted to like, be a designer or like a a creative was not as celebrated. He didn't feel like that was something that was, you know, as celebrated in his, first of all, we hold sports in every,
2: every level of of society,
1: Mm -hmm. we hold sports on a pedestal. So, but I do think that in some communities, we also hold entrepreneurs on a pedestal in a way that makes it more of a pathway for people who see themselves in the faces of entrepreneurs. It's why- so That's
2: normally when you're already at the space of it. It's oh, not along you know the way. You're normally, yeah. okay, I want to do this business. And it's like a crash course of everything versus if you would have gotten that along the way, you would be-
1: Honestly, That's, you're hitting, yeah, you're hitting it on the head. That's kind mm-hmm. of the point, right? Mm-hmm. It's if we thought about preparing for the knowledge economy more like we thought about it, about like AAU basketball or any pick any- Youth sports league, right? right? I think we'd have a whole different. You could even think about it in art, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not an artist at all. I mean, I try occasionally to do something creative, but
2: well, patrons know, are very important. They're are very. There you go. I, I mean, I'm somewhere in the art, <laughs> um,
1: but you know, but like I just know there is so much of art that actually is teachable. You right. may not ever be Picasso, right, or you mm-hmm. may not ever be Nate
0: but
1: mm-hmm. but you could be proficient right? right you like and I just think we've got to think about more things like more of life should be as as much of a regimented sequence learning process as we do with sports
2: and I, well i I think a lot of that you can lend from the arts because you may not be Pablo Picasso or. You know, Poncho Brown, but you you could be a graphic designer, you can mm-hmm. be an illustrator, and those st- skill sets are still transferable to That's those right. uh, the valuable work sources. You know, somebody had to build the 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 logo and the business cards for UpSurge, so you still you're still able to find a market in your talent, and, well, you, and you don't and have actually, to always be what the pinnacle of that.
1: Sources. Well, and, and these days, actually, in the entrepreneur world, in the tech world,
0: mm-hmm. like
1: design first is becoming like like the signature thing in what differentiates companies from one another. And really, mm-hmm. if you think about it, the thing that made Apple Apple was the was the design.
0: Yeah,
1: It was a PC, right? It was a PC that was more beautiful and more well thought through in terms of how you interfaced with it, right? There's a lot more to that story, I know. But like (laughs) if you think about, you know, just you hold up an old PC and you hold up a Mac from back when the silver and the white and the, like, like, it was a game changer because it was beautiful.
2: And they sold us on the future of that tool, not on where they were currently.
1: Well, and it was because they were very design first, right? Mm
0: -hmm. You know, the
1: guy that it's a famous designer, this guy, Johnny Ives, was was Steve Jobs' partner in the, you know, the relaunch of the Mac. And read that story sometime about how they thought about the design and the beauty of what they were trying to create.
0: Mm. And
1: it just it's and I think I just think design in particular, art in particular, has a place in so many facets of society where you know, where you can do pure art if that's the thing that moves you, but you can also use your art to impact the way we live through technology. And that's a really powerful deployment of art, in my opinion.
2: And it's it's I, I'm, I'm loving what you're saying because how it will influence the other industries in the city is to partner more because the technology age, if nothing has influenced us more, uh in the last two years, this quarantine has definitely forced right. all of us to learn technology That's uh right. it it we went from being in an actual station where all I had to do was show up and know what I'm gonna talk about that day to me having to figure out lights and sound and uh mics and and it it was it hurt my head. I'm gonna just be honest, <laughs> but it forced me to know more. And even putting on my own things now virtually, I'm able to do it with ease because yeah. this transition, everything, everybody was pushed out there. And I think if we were, you know, already encouraged to do more of this, then even putting on plays, I've had to learn how to use technology to still produce, you know, my type of art. And it's it's, it's been hard, but I really think this city could... Uh, do thrive being a, the next Silicon Valley for, you know, tech well, and but such. But in, the, uh, the, good
1: in yes. the good way, in the good way, good, not in the in bad the way. way,
2: where it's beneficial, not just in, in, the, you know, in the way,
1: in the way that is, um, that is good for more of the people who are already here. Yes, Right. So
2: that's, that's what I'll, I'll be following you to, to, to learn that aspect of it. How you know the everyday individuals who are already doing incorporating this can thrive in this and then how does it still benefit the community? It, you we do see that in many of those cities where uh, industry has risen and you see it's kind of dissipated everything else in the community because it's not feeding. The place where it's thriving, it's kind of choking
1: that community. Well, I mean, I I think that part of it is that a lot of that started thirty and forty years ago in those cities, and and you know, shame on us as a country that we weren't more um, conscious back then Mm -hmm. of you know of what it would mean if you built these, you know, these industries where there was so much growth and so much wealth building, but we weren't intentional about making sure that other people got to participate. Right, and, right. um, and so, you know, I think that in some ways we're sort of lucky that we're putting this focus on it now, because I think we can learn from the good parts of what those cities did and we mm-hmm. can avoid the bad parts. Yeah, right? And we can draw yeah. on, you know, also just my natural, and my team's natural way of, of operating, you know, is we want lots of voices in the conversation to help make sure we do it the right way and to, you know, to sort of be shaping how this thing grows. So, mm-hmm. um, so look, I'm really, I, I always love talking to you. I hope we can have another conversation when I'm a little further in. I'm only four, <laughs> I'm not even, not quite four months in yet. So there's going to be a lot more to talk about in a few months.
2: I'm I'm really uh, excited because if, you know, I, I really have uh, admired you for really getting in there with individuals who are often left to their own you know, devices or their own creativity and really helping a lot of us to really see the strength within ourselves uh, and beyond just being an artist. So I felt more empowered to be a business owner and a business person uh, after meeting you and just hearing the conversation and um, uh, and I would
1: say the other please. way, I would thank you because you know i'm I get as much out of those you know those opportunities to be in community mm-hmm. with you know, with people. and you know I, I I think I'm the lucky one because I get to see this brilliance across the city that too many people don't like there aren't a lot of people in Baltimore that have had the window onto Baltimore that I've had, Mm -hmm. you know, like just being able to work with the kind of people that I've gotten to work with from every corner of the city. And we are, we're just so deep with brilliance.
0: Mm. We are. And
1: so, and you guys have shaped me as much as I hope I had a little impact on you. So, um, so let's 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 keep building together, and let let me come back in a couple months when I can tell you some more like concrete we're, stuff. Well, I'm I'm, I'm gonna be here,
2: <laughs> here, and maybe we'll be a little bit more flashier because we're still learning this. Maybe we can sit down in
1: person then, right?
2: Yes, please, please, please.
1: I'm double so. vaccinated now, so
2: <laughs> almost there, almost there. I'm kind of baby stepping, but I'm I got to get my nerve up, uh, I get this balance off. But as we close out uh, the interview with Miss Jamie McDonald, I have a final question. One, I want you to tell people where they can find you at on social media. If they are one of these experts that you're looking for, how can they get in contact or uh, learn more about
1: it? So, um, so you know this, but I am not a social media person. I, I am a person who believes like
2: she dabble. She dabble. Well
1: done is better than well said. So I don't do a lot of talking on social media. I just mm-hmm. try to do stuff. Um, but I am like, I am on social media. I don't talk mm-hmm. a lot, but, but upsurge is my thing now. Okay. And so it's, it's upsurgebaltimore.com is the website and upsurge be more is the handle everywhere. Okay. And um, and Jason Bass actually is like the, you know he's leading our communications and culture stuff and so Jason you can definitely hit him up and talk to him too about UpSurge I'm sure okay. a lot of your audience knows Jason um, mm-hmm. and you know and so we, if you want to plug in with UpSurge there's a there's a like a connect thing on our website. Okay. And there's, there's some specific ways that people can get involved, or they can just sign up just to stay. We're going to be putting out like a weekly thing where it'll have opportunities for people to do stuff, okay. um, and opportunities like, and we'll be shouting out stuff that other people are doing. So we want to hear other things that are happening in the community. So that would be a great way to to get plugged in.
2: And I'll put the website on on this post, so it'll be in a description section for people to be great. able to catch it. So my final question to you is: I ask all my guests. Uh, what advice would you give to your 17-year-old self? And what question would you ask to your 100-year-old self?
1: Wow. You should have told me this one ahead of time.
2: (laughs) I like to catch them off guard.
1: Um, God, my 17-year-old self, I was such a different kid.
2: Um, And not really to change anything, but You know, kind of ease those bumps.
1: Yeah. I think the thing I probably would have told my 17-year-old self was to, like, see, I think when I was that age, I saw a lot of the things that I now realize are my strengths as Mm. my weaknesses. Mm. Right? Because my, like, intense determination, like my focus, my like my blinders about mm-hmm. things, right? You know, I was, I've always kind of been this way. And I, you know, I think when I was younger, I saw that my seriousness in a way, I think I saw that as a weakness. And now I really recognize that my seriousness is a strength, right? That my mm-hmm. like intensity is a strength. So that's probably the thing I would tell my 17 year old self. Um, And then My hundred-year-old self, what question would I ask? I think I would... I think I would probably ask myself if I... um, if I left my mark Mm. on people.
2: Mm. Interesting. And it's a question that is definitely something you can ask periodically, Mm -hmm. uh, like the... Business like the postcard used to send out to us randomly. It it I kind of got this question from doing that exercise, and it kind of helps you to see where you are. And yeah. it's not anything to pressure, but just to see how you are. No,
1: no it's but, a, it's a great question. It's a great mm,
2: question. I appreciate you for joining me and taking the I time out today. Anytime I can help or anything I can help you with, definitely reach. Don't hesitate to reach out, and you're always welcome to come back to the Artist <laughs> Exchange Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Bye bye.
2: Thank you. So for the rest of the show, I'm going to give a little bit of information on how we can um, best be our most professional self. But before I go to all that, we have a oh, we got a couple more minutes left. Uh, Tricks. That's very perceptive. Lalit, hi from India. Hey Lalit from India we're international baby. Uh, but I asked Miss Jamie, uh, on just, uh, well not just, but I asked her on to, uh, this month was full of people who I felt were really, uh, forward thinking in their path. And we had a month full of experts that came on. We have one interview that we're rescheduling, um, and that's the gentleman, uh, from the magazine that I was featured in. And we're going to have him on in May. And we have some interesting uh, interviews coming up in May. But April was definitely dedicated to individuals who are very forward-thinking in their path, like Miss McDonald. Uh, and a workshop I did with her in the Courageous program was very uh, informative and really gave me a lot of things that, honestly, it wasn't until this pandemic that Uh, a lot of that uh, information was really uh, useful because I I had to take a lot of stuff off the table and really focus on what I had and what was really important to me and what could get me through this, both financially, mentally, physically, emotionally. And uh, it has really been very helpful to go back and look at some of those notes. So I definitely invited her and I'm glad she rounded out this month of April uh, with her information on it. So if you are into tech, look look up her website. We're going to put that, I'm going to share that on our social media as well. So you'll be able to look into that if that's the world that you live in. And I know a lot of tech uh, individuals that run the gamut. So definitely check her out. But on this side, it's a little, um, it's not sad, but Six four, you crazy. We in this show six thirty. I'll have all that talking be. <laughs> but I uh, I wanted to You asked um, the question. You asked. <laughs> but I wanted to, so today's date is April 30th. Uh today is my father's birthday. And many people don't ever hear me talking about my dad. And that's because I lost him when I was in the second grade. Um I was turning seven yeah I had turned seven and he died a few like a week or two before my birthday and, and uh his birthday is actually today and he died a couple days from now like the first was it the first or the second of May and I've I've lived life without a lot of emotion I learned as I grew up To kind of tuck my emotions in and don't show them because people are definitely, um, people will definitely abuse them. And about two years ago, after interviewing tons and tons of authors, and I still have been interviewing, uh, shout out to Miss Patricia Johnson for introducing me to a lot of them. Um, And I really became close with a couple of them. Shout out to Hakeem, the Philly man, uh, and Miss C. Natasha Richberg, uh, uh, two very important people who have been kind of mentors and friends in my life in the author author world, kind of encouraged me and pushed me to write my own book. So for the last couple years, I went through one journey in trying to write a book. But it just wasn't the right partnership. It wasn't the right group around me. And I really had to solidify the people that I have. So there's a book coming. And I'm currently working on that right now. Um, And I am in a space of, one, physically going through therapy. Like, so the book, I can tell you this much. The book will feel like you are kind of a fly on a wall in my therapy session. Uh, My hope is to uh, not only normalize therapy, but to, and I feel like we're kind of right there now. Therapy isn't such a stigma as it has been uh, in the past, but not only normalizing getting the help, but actually utilizing the help and moving forward. A lot of us have created these trauma bonds with friends and family and lovers and so on and so forth. And we've gotten used to knowing what the problem is now and living with the problem. Um, Now we no longer have to do that. We can actually move forward and thrive as individuals that are healthy. Um, Today's topic was building on our strengths. So find those things that make you your strongest and build yourself up off of those things. Uh, Stop trying to look for outside things to kind of validate you and strengthen you and encourage you and find those things within yourself. Uh, often you'll find yourself around a lot of people who don't mean you any good. Uh, and we often overlook the people who do make us, you know, our best selves. Uh, but this book that I'm working on is is really a passion of love. Uh, and my parents are kind of a big portion of this book. Um, and it's going to be many chapters dedicated to my relationship with them, my experiences with my parents, more, 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 my, my dad than my mom. But, um, today I posted a photo and it really, the reason I never really took the time to acknowledge this date was because of what I'm, what I felt today. Um, I started writing a Facebook post this morning and it did not get posted until three hours ago, actually. Um, And it was really because I wasn't ready to really be that vulnerable. Um, And what I felt happening is actually what happened. Uh, And often and kind of the premise for my book is how I had to almost break my own heart to move forward, to heal, to grow, to achieve, to feel love. Uh, And this book is a testament to that and is an example of that. And it's definitely a bunch of uh, short stories and uh, things, experiences that I've gone through to kind of show me, me finally saying, you know what, I have to break myself in order to move forward because I've gotten too comfortable with not showing emotions or only showing the emotions that are aggressive. Um, and I no longer want to be that person. And uh, in order for me not to be that person, unfortunately, a lot of people have to go. A lot of people had to be, I had to distance myself from a lot of people. And the ones that I have not yet distanced myself from are on the list. And it's happening in time. But I'm a planner. And I'm, uh, I've am i learned how to plan my uh, life versus just randomly living it. and And it is working for me. So this book, uh, the title will be coming out soon. The um, the promotion of it will be coming out uh, soon. Uh, all I can say is soon right now because we're a little behind schedule. Uh, but uh, thanks to a really good friend, Blue Waters, who most don't know. He's a he's a therapist, a licensed therapist, a uh, practicing therapist. And it's helping me through this process. And it's really just figuring out how to get some of these stories out and how to shape them. And I'll be uh, interviewing him as well as my editor and co-writer of this book, or writing coach rather, of this book uh, and soon. Um, And I'm really excited about almost emptying myself out to fill myself back up. Um, And to go back to this post, I wrote on this day, I celebrate my father. Today is his birthday. I used to ignore this date and find ways to distract myself uh, for fear I would have to keep feeling that pain of losing a father, a parent, way too soon. I choose to publicly express my growth and celebrate his life, uh, and I ask everybody to join in me in helping to celebrate it because um, I feel very hypocritical as, I, as a as a teacher who often had, well, I I have a unique situation where I get to help people tell their stories. One here on this platform, my other podcast, as well as, as a teacher, I get to help students kind of break through trauma and triggers and be able to tell their story to, you know, motivate themselves to move forward and grow, but also to entertain other people and help them as well. But I was really thoroughly, just in the last three hours, All of the love and support uh, that has come from this post, and I'm not a thirst trapper, so I don't write stuff for likes and giggles or for, you know, posts. But uh, I've realized when I write posts that are coming from my heart versus from my mind, uh, the level of support that I get and is encouraging me to be more authentic in my art. And I don't want to just put an image out there of myself, even though I am who I am and I am who I am and I'm very happy with who I am. I'm learning to grow beyond that. So not necessarily changing or dropping anything about myself, but really growing from it. Um, so I really am and very much so I'm very grateful and um, filled with gratitude in the outpour of love and support. And um, uh, this love and support from all my friends and family on this list. Um, and I'm sure it's going to grow even probably now because I'm just looking at where it was before I started the show. Uh, and just understanding uh, this is not easy for me. I'm not an emotional person. I'm a passionate person. And that can often be uh, confused with uh, emotional uh, but I'm really passionate about who I am, the things that I love, the people that I love, and um, it it is difficult being such a driven person with so much passion because you can often be misunderstood, and uh, and yeah, mostly mostly misunderstood. Uh, but if you are going through something, if you are missing someone, if you are grieving still you know because I never really being so young it's hard to grieve at the age of six and seven is that's something that is not really supported you know especially for a young boy is this you know I don't think anybody thought I felt I could feel anything at such an age uh like that and it's been really therapeutic my aunt uh my aunt Val one of my father's sisters, um, she gave me this book. You can tell it's an old uh, picture album. She gave me this old book and it was filled with photos. I didn't have any photos of my I think I had one photo and that's the photo I posted today uh, of my dad. And it's a book full of just memories and photos um, of him. And this is actually... His photo, this is the first photo in a book uh, of my dad. Uh, Obviously, I'm chunky like my mom. (laughs) Uh, But I, uh, and and me looking through this book and looking through many of the pictures. um, And it's one of the reasons I take pictures. I love taking pictures. And I have to learn how to be in some of those pictures now. So I take a lot of selfies now. Uh, But as I'm looking through a lot of these photos, I'm seeing, you know, things that I could recall. I have a really vivid memory. I'm seeing myself uh, as a kid. So I'm showing some of the photos. uh, And just seeing myself. I didn't have a lot of pictures. You know, as you move, you lose things. And as my mom moved, we lost a lot of photos. You know, Black people steal pictures, you know, so people taking pictures and we losing pictures and moves it really, um, it was sad because I didn't have a lot of photos of myself as a child, if any, any photos of myself. And it was just very, you know, crazy seeing these photos, a picture with me and my mom. I'm the little baby in the burgundy. Uh, Just seeing these photos, it really just uh, put a put me in a different place. And a lot of these photos you're going to see in the book as well. So that was one of the reasons I asked my aunt. My aunt is she, she never let people see her photos because Black people steal photos, if you didn't know. Uh, watch your photo albums around your relatives and your friends too. Um, and I asked her, I told her what I needed it for and she made this book. She put this book together of all these photos of him and you know, when a Black person gives you their photo albums, you are, you know, you're the love I know I'm her favorite, book. I ain't gonna tell my cousins that. But uh, all these photos, that's another photo of my dad when he was a teenager. And just seeing, seeing these photos, I'm not gonna sure show you all of them because some of are more embarrassing, but, <laughs> but just seeing these photos, this is my aunt, me and my aunt Val. This is similar to the photo that you saw on my page. If you look at my Facebook page, but this was really the first time that I had went over my dad's house as an older child. I was I was probably in pre K or kindergarten in this photo, and it was really just um just uh, like the first memory that I have of my dad, and I lost him a few years later, so I didn't really have a lot of life with him. But it my aunt Val has been a very supportive person in terms of keeping me connected with my father's family. This is a photo taken I believe maybe maybe a year or so before he passed away um and anybody who is going through a grief process, you know how hard it is to just pick up your life or just to even address what the issue is, the grief itself. And for me, I never dealt with the grief. You know, I remember being at the funeral and I was passing tissues out to everybody and I didn't know how I should feel. And this book is really giving me a, um, it's giving me a lot of insight on how I should feel. Um, a friend of mine, Miss uh, Nicole Stry- And She's been a guest on here several times. She now has a podcast uh, based on her losing both of her parents. Um, And it's a a grieving website. And it's not a sad stories and stuff like that, but she tells, you know, what it's like, you know, what is life like, you know, grieving specifically over a parent or any loved one, really. Um, So I'm gonna have her on here to kind of talk about her her podcast a little bit and to share are not a not burgundy not <laughs> first of all sir i think i know that's blue on is that blue but um this is really it's been very cathartic to me this really the first year that i felt comfortable even sharing anything about my dad, because I rarely, I I talk about my mom more than I ever talk about him, but this photo album is just filled with um, just pictures that I've never seen of him before, and seeing him in, you know, kind of a different space, if you, you used to seeing somebody a certain way, but these photos are letting me see him as a child, as a teenager, and it's filled with just photos of him and it's giving me a lot of insight on him. I've seen all these types of pictures of my mom but never of my dad and it's um it is no I'm not oh that's George no first of all no George I'm not going to show you those things. They're going to be buried. They're going to stay in this book and never be shown. Uh but it really is you know I think it's befitting as I'm. I'm not close to forty yet. I'm not forty yet, but I'm getting close to it. Um, as I'm going into that space in my life, I'm learning how to be more vulnerable, which is not an easy thing. Even in today's life, it's not a very easy thing for me. So this process is showing me how to be vulnerable, and thankfully, I have a good friend, Blue, the uh, who is will be back in May. Um, and shout out to the Cocktail Social team. They've gone through a lot of issues with family and family and, you know, this pandemic. Uh, so they'll be back in May uh, with the Cocktail Social. But uh, thanks to Blue, I've been more able to kind of purge a little bit more and be vulnerable. And as I, we all know, especially as Black people, we try to be as strong as possible and walk around with that S1L chest as much as we can. And it's just not, uh, yes. And we had two of our hosts with COVID. Yes. Uh, so it really, um, I won't open my bins up there, but, uh, but yeah, so this has been just a blessing. And I have to one say thank you to my aunt for putting this together. Um, Uh, as an early birthday present to me and just letting me see stuff that I had forgotten. And, you know, pictures have a way, I, I hope we aren't so digitally, I know we was talking about the tech world and moving into the future in the first part of the show, but I hope technology is not taking us away from taking pictures and having hard copies of photos because we can lose our computers and all our pictures go along with it. But a photo album can really stand the test of time, and this is another photo. Uh, this was actually taken the day of my father's funeral. I don't know where my mother was at in life when she was dressing me, but she always dressed me like I was a forty-year-old man, uh, a pimp. If you will. I wore a lot. I wore a lot of leather, a lot of white, uh, a lot of black and white. Uh, so that was my mom. <laughs> Dressing me, Uh, and yes, I had a hot top fade that for the most of my life. Uh, But it is this. I mean, do y'all have? Do y'all keep photo albums? (laughs) Yes, I I love taking photos, George. I love. I still take photos. I still have cameras that I, you know, need to get developed. Do they even still develop photos? But um, I love taking photos. I love um I love going through photo albums and such and', and it's, this has really given me a a different space and a different energy as I'm continuing to uh, write this book and such and you know I really want to help people to to do this and it's one of the things that i I also do I I do legacy workshops where I show people how to um to do legacy interviews. I do legacy interviews with families and, and individuals uh, that want that may have a family member that is getting older and they want to do interviews. So if you if you're looking for one of those interviews, hit me up. I travel, I've gone to North Carolina, I've gone to Philly, I've gone to Boston, and we've done these interviews before. But um this is def- this was definitely a a blessing to me to get this book because it really made this journey and kind of writing my story and journaling about my story up until this point in my life. Cause this my life is not even over yet, but it really just, um, it really gave me a lot of perspective and, and significance in telling my story. I help everybody tell their stories. I, I'm an actor. So I'm always, telling some character story. But uh, I I put the, you know, focus on myself and and started to create this space for myself to be more transparent and more, you know, vulnerable. I'm always, I've always been adventurous. But when it comes to exposing who I am, that's always been um, private. I've always been a very private person, but I'm learning how to just open up a little bit and give a little bit and um hair, and just be you know more vulnerable. I've posted a lot of these photos so you can find a lot of these photos. This is my mom if you look at, at this lady right here. Um but you you um grief is, is 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 hard and you don't know when it's coming you don't know when it's you know will hit you. Some of us, we let it all out in the beginning. Um, I remember losing my great-grandmother and that's what happened. I let it all out in the beginning and I've been fine, you know, with that, uh, but you, there's never a time. We can't dictate when grieving is over or when it should start or how we should go through it, but we have to find healthy ways to um, release it. And eventually it will get easier. Uh, And people who don't feel that way, it does get easier, but you have to work on it. It doesn't get easier on its own. Um, And losing my dad, I think that's been a void in my life for a very long time since it happened. And I didn't realize how much of an impact it would have on me growing up. Um, And if you are blessed to have your parents, um, take every opportunity you can to, you know, share time with them and and be in their space and and love on them and have them love on you. And I know a lot of our families are in spaces where that's not a thing, but make it a thing. You know, break that cycle of distance and 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 hard heartedness and unforgiveness, if that even is a word. But um, yeah, this has been a great show. I was kind of a little, I think I hesitated in posting that image earlier because I didn't know how to speak on it. And I knew I would have to acknowledge it um, on the show today. And I wanted to really, you know, give space. And, And I posted something like this a minute ago, but give space to the inner child, not only of yourself, but of your parents and learning how to forgive. I, I think I took so long to express my grief over my dad because I have spent a lot of years angry at him for leaving me in uh, a space where I needed a dad. I needed that image. I needed that role model. Um, and that's such an age of seven where you know life is just starting to open its Eyes to you, and you're starting to learn what it is, and you're starting to learn uh so much about the world. And I was a very spectating child. I saw everything, I watched everything. Um, and I spent a lot of time being angry and frustrated at you know, the fact that I didn't have a dad or a present dad. But Time heals a lot of wounds, and so does action. So you have to get up and do something. And I wanted to really relinquish a lot of the struggle, a lot of the pain and hurt. Uh, and I chose to put it in a book and share it and be a blessing to other people that may be going through this, other little black boys that may have gone through this, other grown grown men that have gone through this and still uh, at a space where I'm at, uh, where it was at. But uh this show is that platform. Uh, we consistently are um comments. You said what? Comments. Com oh, people making, do you think life would be different? Uh I don't know. Who asked that question? I think um I I, I think life is always gonna be what it is. I think it would have been a different journey um, because I was just starting to get to know him. You know, my aunt took the initiative to bridge that gap uh, and just a few years after that um, he passed away. So I think, I think life would have been different in terms of um, my relationship uh, with him I think having that relationship would have definitely made things different I would have probably made different a lot of different choices um but I do think I do think life would have been different um just last night uh I I do a show called where you radio that's uh out of Atlanta uh check it out where you radio.com the morning show I do good morning show and we we had a on Fridays we do a question and one of the questions that we brought up we give out advice and one of the uh questions that were that was sent in was you know about uh a parent that wasn't in your life that's trying to now be in your life and my statement was I never give people advice to distance themselves from a parent um and that and the reason I say that is because i've distanced myself in the past from uh my mom and i have and it wasn't anything about our relationship it was just where i was in life uh but um losing a dad at such a young age you you appreciate your parents more i think i appreciated my mom much more because she was there um And not having a parent for whatever reason, if they're strung out or in jail or just absent, um, it makes a difference in a child's life. And we can say all day long, I'm stronger than my struggles and I'm, you know, I'm a victor. You can say that all day long until you've lost a parent or till you no longer have the ability, or if you've never had the ability to have that parent, you you can't really speak on that. Uh, because we can be strong. We can move forward. Life goes on. But there's definitely a missing uh, piece to it. There's definitely a missing uh, space in your life. And I, I can feel, and I've always felt uh, the space that was missing. And I never tried to fill that space. Uh, and that, I think that has helped me, uh, even though I still made some not so good decisions, but, uh, I think I've never tried to fill that space with anything. Um, and it's just been a, a missing space and it was different from the missing space that I felt for grandparents that died or friends that have died or other family members that have died It's different. You know, the space was different you know, losing a parent can be tremendous. It can be devastating. Um, It can be numbing. And it was all those things. And it wasn't until recently that I allowed myself to even feel those things. I was very aware of the process, the journey, but recently I've learned how to feel. And it wasn't just about crying, but just feel. Today, I allowed myself this morning to feel you know that that feeling of missing something, even if it was something you never had, I allowed myself to feel that thing. You know, even though even that this photo exists, I don't have a lot of photos with my dad. I now have a lot of photos of him, but I still don't have a lot of photos with him. So me remembering that day, remembering what he smelled like, remembering how he sounded you know knowing those similarities that that we had in common uh understanding those things and being aware of those things um i definitely think things would have been different i don't regret life but i know things would have been different so if you are a dad out there and you aren't in your child's life get get your shit together if you are a child out there and you have a parent that you haven't seen that's still out there get it together get it together. You know, don't keep letting anger dictate your your actions, because anger can keep a hold on us and force us to make decisions that aren't healthy for us. Anger. And this, you know, child, children, young and old children, you deserve a relationship with that person, even if that person doesn't deserve one with you. And I you know, in closing out today i w- I really want to stress that you know we we are in a space right now where we um we are so easy to erase people and get people out i get out my life, get out my space. We're so quick to do that, but we definitely don't understand how impactful or harmful. It is to us as individuals when we just erase people, you know, it because it can happen to you. And it, it's not a good feeling when it's in reverse, when someone takes your humanness away by simply just erasing you and moving you out of their space. Uh, so, you know, as we approach Mother's Day and then Father's Day and birthdays and, you know, do better with your communication, set boundaries. You know, some people, the reason our relationships are the way they are is because we don't have boundaries. And a lot of my relationships have gotten difficult. I've been called difficult because I've learned to set boundaries. And they got difficult because originally I did not show up as myself. I did not set boundaries. But now that i set boundaries, it's much easier for me to be calmer in my conflicts with individuals it's much easier for me to communicate exactly how i feel and set that line of demarcation where i'm not going to budge for how i feel i'm not going to uh i'm not going to live with it i'm not going to i'm not going to live in that anymore uh so today has been really uh interesting day and And me deciding, I wanted a short, sweet message. I didn't want to go in because I want you to read the book. Uh, But (laughs) I wanted to um, just share that with myself. It's a lot of of stuff about me personally that people don't know. And it's really not, a lot of it isn't your business. That's why you don't know it. But uh, as me and Jamie were talking, part of me being an artist is sharing. And part of this platform is engagement. And and if you want people to invest in who you are in terms of your talents, your gifts, your passions in life, you have to be vulnerable. Money is too tight nowadays, even with the people who have the money. It's too tight nowadays for people to just blindly support you. I want to know where my money going. I don't want to I don't I'm not investing in somebody who believes in Trump. I'm not spending my money on somebody who who shows hate towards black people or LGBTQ people or children or the elder. I'm not sharing my money with people who do those things. You know, I'm not sharing my time and my energy and my talents with people who do those things. I'm always here whenever you want to grow. But until that day, I, uh, yeah, my money's all for you. So sharing your story helps people to know who you are it it and me being vulnerable it is caused a lot of uh tension in my life because people will try to play on that but just as much tension is was created in that uh, a lot of awareness of who people really are a lot of um awareness uh tension but also a lot of great things have happened once i exposed who I am. And not even for other people, for myself. When you're carrying around 30 years of grief, that is dangerous. In the wrong hands, in the wrong space, in the wrong opportunity. I ate something and there's uh, some chips. and I can feel it but growing growing in that space you you have to really to grow in that space, you have to really relinquish a lot and sometimes it's just telling your story. It could be that simple. it could be that simple and i've I've held on to this this uh, relationship with my dad for a long time thirty years, thirty in a couple of days it'll be thirty years since he's passed away, and it really feels not so different, (laughs) you know, but the impact of the time and the grief, the impact really of the grief, uh, I've learned to use it. I've learned to, because as an artist, I've used that pain and I've watched it slowly turn from pain to a joy or a celebration. So today was the first day I've actually celebrated my father's life. In the memory of him. Um, And I'm thankful for my Aunt Val for, one, um, putting this album together for me and giving me a gift of remembering uh, that will often dredge up emotion, dredge up feelings, but in you dredging those things up and pulling them up, you, you have the opportunity to let them go and release them. You know, I, I felt like for the last 30 years, I've been con- tied to uh, a bad memory, a bad feeling, grief, and I've, in one post, I felt like it just lifted off my shoulders. So today, I do feel lighter, and I thank you all for for the people who are watching this, who have watched this, who will be watching this. Nathan Stroh, please give me a shout out. Who is Nathan Strode? Hey Nathan Strode. Here's a shout out. I don't know who that is. Oh, a listener. Hey Nathan Strode. How uh demanding of you. But hey, how you doing? <laughs> Send me a message. Let me learn who you are. <clears throat> but um, in in all saying all of that, I'm very gracious, I'm very thankful, I'm very uh, at peace. Um, and I'm happy. I have a lot of joy and I'm choosing that joy over uh, stress and anxiousness and trauma and triggers. And it's all in our choice. It's not that easy to make the choice. I'm not making it seem like it's easy, but it's as simple as having a choice and choosing uh, the things in life that you want. So this has been another episode of The Artist Exchange. I said it. He said, please. I, I don't know who Nathan Strode is. So I can't, you know, just give you a shout out. if I just said your name twice. So that's a shout out. No, I, you said how demanding of him. And I said, no, he said, please.
0: <laughs> what <I> was
2: <laughs> yeah, well, give me a shout out, Nathan Strode. Share, like, and subscribe. Because you sound like one of them YouTubers. <laughs> Share, like, and subscribe. I gave you a shout out, Nathan Strode. I said it three times. (laughs) I mean, it's serious. That's a habit at this point. But this is (laughs) this has been another edition of the Artist Exchange Radio Show. Look out for us every Friday at 5 p.m. sharp. Now that our station owner is the entrepreneur again. How you doing? I can't. I'm I'm over life. Uh, just shout out to everybody. Shout out, look out for some great things coming from the Artist Exchange. Uh Top Blue Jewelry. Uh, just look out. Some changes are about to happen and it's gonna be marvelous. Peace out, people. Peace
0: out.